We come to the book of Numbers that, I don't know, I, have, I haven't met anyone yet that's told me their favorite book is the book of Numbers, right? Or even their favorite Old Testament book is the book of Numbers, right? Maybe some of the accountants here, uh, some of the math teachers here, right? You can always count on them to love Numbers. Um, but uh, again, the, the book of Numbers, most of us, we hit it and we think, what in the world is this? And then you try to go, trying to read through your Bible with the church, right? And you go through chapter one and it's just name after name after name. And it's basically a census. I don't know when was the last time you read through the census of Miami-Dade County, right? Or, or lovely reading or anything like that, right? But the whole name of the book of Numbers, it comes from the Greek and the Latin. Numbers is the fourth book of this five-part book series that Moses, he's the author of the first five books of the Bible. And again, it's given this name that we get because of three different senses that happen throughout the book. There's a census that happens in chapter 1 and 2, and it's of all the able-bodied soldiers, men 20 years old and up, and it happens at the beginning of the book. In chapters 3 and 4, there's another census that takes place, but it's about the Levites, the priests, their homes, the different men, the different leadership, the different families of the Levites. And then the third census happens in chapter 26, and it's at the end of their wandering, at the end of their time in the wilderness, and it's all the able-bodied soldiers at the end of, again, their wandering. In uh, Numbers chapter 1, verse 46, if you do the math, we have 603,000 men that are ready to fight. At the end of the book, in Numbers 26, verse 51, you have their 601 thousand men that are ready to fight so within this 40 years they really lose 1800 people within their census and it's interesting because the nation of Israel was always told to be fruitful and multiply be fruitful and multiply and there's an interesting truth that we receive here after being freed from their slavery the nation of Israel really not doing anything with that they lose numbers However, the nation of Israel, the way it starts, right? We have Abraham at the end of the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You have Jacob with Joseph there. And from Joseph and his brothers, there's about 70 men. And they multiply during their time in Egypt. Then they multiply even more in their slavery. So they go from 70 to 600,000 men through years of difficulty and toil and oftentimes that's just our personal lives. Oftentimes when we grow in our walk and our relationship with the Lord, it's during the difficulties. It's during the trials. That's when we're really shown what we're made out of. And then there's a breaking point there because we either press into the Lord and we grow more and more. Or at times we grow anxious, we grow angry, we grow bitter towards the Lord and we sort of depart from Him and sooner or later we're going to have to take that test all over again. So that's one small truth we can take from the book of Numbers. Again, it's interesting, we're given around 600,000 men that are able-bodied, over 20 years old and ready to fight. A doctor by the name of Dr. Melvin Grove, Kyle, he takes these numbers of 600,000 fighting men. He adds 400,000 women, 200,000 older men, 800,000 children, and 100,000 mixed multitude. If you remember, some Egyptians and different nations went with the nation of Israel. And he came to a number that's not too crazy. It's pretty conservative. That's about 2.1 million people. 
Again, think of a camping trip with 200, right, with 2.1 million people, right? And how God would provide for them water out in the wilderness. God would provide for them bread every day. Then they complained, then he would provide for them, right, quail and different things like that. 2.1 million people. The Miami-Dade County Census in 2020, we were at 2.7 million, right? We know a lot of people have flooded here since 2020, but that was the, the census then. So we can go through all these numbers and think, what in the world does this have to do with me, right? Why did I come here tonight? Can we fast forward to communion at the end or something like that? Important note for a 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Got a lot of scriptures to run through. This is a good one. Let's go there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Again, we live in a day and age where people try to cherry pick what scriptures they like and what scriptures they don't like. And oftentimes people, they'll sort of like delete control z certain books of the bible because it touches upon certain sins in their life that they don't want dealt with so this is a very important scripture for us second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 through 17 it tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, there's every portion of Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, but it's given there for different reasons that we would be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why you can't be just pulling out whatever portion of Scripture you don't like, right? Just finished the relationship series uh, with the young adults. And I think many husbands, they just sort of want to delete the whole loving your wives, right? And dwell with them with understanding. Or if not, your prayers would be hindered. I think many ladies, they want to just delete the whole, right, submission. And there's scriptures over and over and over again that depending if we like it or not, right? The whole idea that if someone slaps you to turn the other cheek. Some of us, eh, delete that. I don't want that, right? I don't like that scripture. It's important for us to take the whole Word of God. Why should we pay attention to the book of Numbers? Romans chapter 15 verse 4 tells us, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So God has given us the book of Numbers for us to learn something here. And it's not math, it's not addition, right? That's not what it's about. It's not about to take a census or different things like that. But throughout the book of Numbers, there are very important truths for us. Right? I know Chris, you talked about Korah and his family. Right? We find that in the book of Numbers. You have Balaam, this prophet. He's in the book of Numbers. The, the serpents, the unbelief, the going into the promised land. And truly, the book of Numbers is a book filled with war. And what we're going to see here in a moment is the progression that the Lord does in each and every one of our lives is that He creates us, right? Book of Genesis, we're created, we exist, and it's only by the will of God that we exist. We're made in His image. We are knit by Him in our mother's womb. Then in the book of Exodus, He redeems us, right, from our depravity, from the slavery of sin, from the slavery of Egypt. He's the one that redeems us. Redemption takes place. Then in the book of Leviticus, what was the theme of the book of Leviticus? Holiness, right? That's when God sets us apart. He makes us holy. And then right after that process happens, then we begin to go to war. 
You see, that's the whole thing. Oftentimes the garbage that other churches are saying is that you get saved and everything is perfect. You get saved and you have heaven here on earth. But that's not what happens in Scripture. That wasn't the life of Jesus here on earth. That wasn't the life of the disciples. That wasn't the life of the book of Acts. That wasn't the life throughout the New Testament. Our heaven is actually in heaven, right? That's, that's where it's at. Our heaven is not here on earth. Right? One of the young adults was joking with me. They're talking about how they're having a, a rough season. And someone reminded them this is the closest to hell they will ever get, right? And that's our mindset while we're here. If you're a true believer, you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, this is the closest to hell that you will get. However, we are at war. Now again, we'll see in a moment, our war is not just with guns or with tactics or color guard or all this other stuff right going around right now. Our war is for souls. A, to keep and protect our soul in a sense, keep us blameless and unspotted from this world. And then to win over as many people as possible. So in the Latin, in the Greek, it's the name is Numbers. But in the Hebrew, the title for the book of Numbers, it's found in the very first verse there. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. And in the Hebrew, the title would literally be in the wilderness. And I think that's a lot better of a title. I think most people write... Sorry again, accountants, math teachers, right? But I think most other people say, in the wilderness, right? What, what does that have to do? What does that have to speak to me? And again, until we get to heaven, in a sense, we are battling through this wilderness. This is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through. Another scripture, we could turn there, Psalm 95. Psalm 95, it's a bite-sized portion of the whole book of Numbers right there in Psalm 95. The psalmist writes, we'll just read the last few verses there. Psalm 95, verse 8. Psalm 95, verse 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You see, for the nation of Israel, it was an 11-day journey from Kadesh Barnea to the promised land. 11-day journey. Yet how long did the journey take them? 40 years, right? Some of you are a little bit younger than others of us, right? Some of us are a little older than others of us, right? But think of that three-hour tour, right? And they made a whole television show on it, right? They're stuck there forever on the island, right? And in a sense for the nation of Israel, something that God wanted to do in them in an 11-day journey became 40 years. And why is that? It's because of their sin. Because of their unbelief, because of their lack of trust in God, even though they saw the miracles of God in their lives, even though they wouldn't be free from slavery if it was not for the work of God in their lives. That's a warning to us. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Are you living by faith? Are you living by faith? Are you living by right, faith in the word of God? Or right away do you begin to doubt it, pull it apart, make it what you want it to be? Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. And it was because of the lack of faith in 10 out of 12 men that led the nation of Israel into 40 years of wandering. 40 years of wandering. Again, that just sounds like a terrible experience, right? An 11-day camping trip turned into 40 years of a camping trip, right? I don't know about you, that's, that's not my dream, right? Maybe that's your dream, that's not my dream, right? Two key scriptures within the book of Numbers. You could go to, we'll do good news before bad news. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, we get one of the sweetest blessings throughout the entire Bible here. Again, Pastor Chuck Smith, he'd end every service praying this prayer over the church. Try to pray this prayer over one another, over my kids. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Again, what a blessing there. Here we see the heart of God to a nation that he did all the work. He saved them. He knows in a couple chapters and over and over and over again after that, they're going to disobey him. They're going to doubt him. They're going to have no faith. They're going to go to pagan gods while they're on a journey with God. And he says, hey, this is the blessing I want you to put over them. Again, the heart of God towards his people. Remember that as you read scripture. Remember that as the Lord convicts you of different sins. He's not doing so because he hates you or wants to harm you or wants to destroy you. But it's because he wants to bless you. He wants to keep you. He wants to cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. That's his heart's desire. But if we are in sin The wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. God's desire is, again, to bless us, give us peace, be with us, be gracious to us. But we have to be obedient to his word. Numbers chapter 14. Gave you guys the good news. Here's the bad news. Numbers chapter 14, verse 29 through 31. Again, I think these are the two key scriptures here throughout the book of Numbers. Numbers 14, verse 29 through 31. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims... I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Again, it's a difficult portion of Scripture to read, but Moses, he sends out 12 spies into the land to search and see, hey, what's going on there? You have two spies. They give a good report, a great report. They say, hey, let's take it. God says it's ours. Let's go ahead and take it. Two men of faith. The rest of the men paint this terrible picture that they're all going to doom, gloom, and be destroyed. That their very children would be destroyed through it. So because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience 
to God, it costs them everything. Again, we talked about that number, 600,000 soldiers there, right? But the whole entire nation of Israel goes through a churning within 40 years, and only two men make it into the promised land. Again, it's difficult. Talk about narrow is the way, though. But again, the promised land is not a true picture of heaven for us because in the promised land, they have to go through war over and over and over and over again. In heaven, we're not going to have to go to war, right? We got that one battle. We come down. How does it all end? Jesus just speaks, and it's over. It's done with, right? Again, creation happens in Genesis, redemption happens in Exodus, holiness and worship happen in Leviticus, and in Numbers we get this wilderness, or war if you would, for 38 years. The amount of time in each of these books, the last little portion of the book of Genesis, we meet Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? Then there's 400 years of slavery. Then in the book of Exodus, it all takes place over the span of 82 years. The first 80 years happened in the first two chapters in the book of Exodus. And then the last two years happened from chapter 3 to chapter 40. Leviticus, the book we just went through, right? Took us a while to go through. But it all transpires in just one month. That's just one month of them sitting at Mount Sinai, hearing from God, God's laws, God's purity, God wanting to separate them, a nation unto himself, and his laws for the Levites. In the book of Genesis, God selects a people. Book of Exodus, God redeems the people he selected. In Leviticus, he sanctifies them. He sets them apart. And now throughout the book of Numbers, God will direct his people. And he will lead his people every morning and every night. By the night, there's this pillar of fire leading them everywhere that they're going. During the day, there's this pillar of cloud going around. And again, they go from slaves to warriors. Slaves to warriors. And it's the same for you and I. We go from being slaves to now we're slaves of Christ. And he has called us to be warriors. A quick outline for the book of Numbers. A three-part outline from chapters 1 through 10. It's Israel's obedience to the Lord, right? It's a great season. At the end of almost every chapter, it says that they did everything that the Lord had commanded Moses. First 10 chapters, Israel's obedience to the Lord. Chapters 11 through 25, it's Israel's disobedience to the Lord. They disobey the Lord, they murmur, they complain, they whine, right? Just nothing for us today, nothing for us to apply to today, right? They murmur, they complain, they don't have faith in God, they complain about Moses, their leader, just over and over, God provides for them and they complain about God's provision. And that's what happens in chapters 11 through 25. Finally, chapter 26 through 36, it's Israel's second generation's renewed obedience to the Lord. So you got Israel's obedience to the Lord, Israel's disobedience to the Lord, and then Israel's second generation's renewed obedience to the Lord. So again, these things were written for us, as I read in Romans 15, 4, for our learning. So don't just look at Numbers chapter 1 and 2 and say, I'm out, I'm not doing this, right? Going back to the Gospel of John, this makes no sense to me. Don't do that. Don't do that. Again, an important thing for us to note is there in Timothy, there's different reasons of importance for each portion of Scripture. It's all the inspiration of God, but they're all given for different reasons. 
Some it's just doctrine. Some it's just numbers. Some it's first to have the lineage and the line through the tribe of Judah, through the tribe of Levi, so we can see Jesus, that he truly is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Again, there's different portions of Scripture for different reasons in your life. If you only have five minutes to do your devos and you're in Numbers 1 and 2, should you go to another portion of Scripture? Maybe, perhaps. Right, with all the weddings, all the baby showers happening, do you want a scripture? Hey, let me give you a scripture of comfort, right? Numbers chapter 1, verse 2, right? Zephaniel had 100,000 people, right? That's not going to bring you comfort, but it's all God-breathed. Again, that's why it's important for us to read throughout all of scripture, not just whine and complain about it, right? Even listening to old teaching from Chuck Smith, he says, hey, I'll give you a way out. You don't have to read chapter 1 and 2 throughout the, all the numbers. Read all the rest of the stuff. Again, it's all God-breathed, but there's different reasons for each of it. So I just want to look at, through that overview, why would God have the book of Numbers for us? And I think really the biggest key there for us to be reminded of is that we are at war. We're at war. Just like the nation of Israel, they're saved from slavery, and they didn't just go to a beach with pina coladas and just hang out, right? They go from slavery to the wilderness, And throughout the wilderness, they're having to be led by God and God's wisdom. And they're also having to go to war, unconventional ways of war. And again, our our warfare, it's unconventional. It's not just normal warfare here. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at a, a lot of New Testament mentions of the book of Numbers and what's transpiring here. These 40 years of wandering because of their disobedience. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll read verse 3 through 11. It says, For we have believed, we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David today, after such a long time, as it has been said today, If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore... Be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Why is the book of Numbers there? It's a warning to us for us to not fall prey to the same example of disobedience that the nation of Israel did. And again, that that was tongue-in-cheek. Do we not murmur and complain every single day in spite of God's goodness? In spite of God's provision, are we not a people that are prone to murmur and complain, to grumble, right? We watched television. I never saw that car before, but all of a sudden, now I need it, right? 
I never knew that there was a bed that you could put a number in it and it does something different, but now I need that bed, right? And we murmur and complain and we are so rich. We are so blessed. And there's times when God asks us to go to war with certain things in our lives. Maybe certain weights, certain sins, certain challenges. Maybe it's certain family members that we are warring, trying to save their souls, but we make excuses in our minds through a lack of faith, say, ah, that, that's not my battle, that's not my war. Again, there's a grave danger to us. We could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here, Paul, either once or if you think he's the author of the book of Hebrews, second time here, he's going to mention this group of people in their 40-year journey. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now again, take a moment here. Is that not our excuse sometimes? God, could you not just show up and tell me what you want me to do? God, could you not just lead me through this situation? God, could you not just lead me through this decision? And yet that's exactly what the nation of Israel had. They literally had the presence of God saying, move forward, right? That's literally what they had. They had a live GPS telling them exactly where to go and what to, what to do. The rock that Moses, the first time he struck doing correctly, and the second time he struck out of his frustration and maybe his anger management problems, right, would follow them throughout the wilderness. Would follow them. Jesus the rock, he's there with them, following them throughout all the wilderness. And yet having all the things that we would say, if only I had X, Y, Z, then I would follow the Lord even better than I do. Only two of them make it. Only two of them make it. That's why, again, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We continue, verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. What are you lusting after? Is it the things of God or is it the things of this world? Social media, what is your feed filled with, right? The news, your plans, what is it filled with? Is it the lust of the things of this earth? Or do you have a lust and desire for the kingdom of God to be happening here on earth? Verse 7, And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They began to worship other gods. They had idols, again, in the presence of God. Every night there's a fire coming in, right? The light of the fire is coming in through their tents. And yet they thought they could hide idols from God. This is what was going on through the nation of Israel. God's presence is there in their homes. And yet they think they can play with idols, Verse 8, right, again, numbers, nothing for us to apply to us today. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Again, in the presence of God, 
And yet they're committing sexual immorality with the nations around them, with the tribes around them. We have to be careful that we don't fall into this, right? That we don't make a decision to love sin more than we love God the Father. That we don't have a time of a lack of faith, that we don't have faith in God, we don't have faith in God's word, that to abstain till marriage is the best thing possible. Verse 9, or let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, again in view of all of these 11 verses, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And then once again, look, look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Again, over and over and over again, we are to flee from sin. Idolatry, sexual immorality, murmuring, complaining, all of these things, creating idols in our lives. We need to flee from these things. And that's why this is taking place. Some people, they don't like, right, these war terms, these battle terms, right? That, that's Old Testament. That's not for us in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, our Lord and Savior Jesus, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Again, we're in a battle. Some people, they get that sword idea and they like it, right? The 2A people, the NRA people, yeah, I like that term, right? It's important. Matthew chapter 26, verse 51 through 52, it tells us, And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest to cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Again, our battle, it's not a physical battle. Unless you go to war, unless you enlist in the military, you, you're in the police station, things like that. Our war is not with physical people. Our war is for souls. And we are at war. Who's the first war with? Ourselves. That man or woman in the mirror, that is the first person that you're at war with. It's our own flesh. That's why this, this Christian life, it's, it's simple, but it is so difficult. Because inside of each and every one of us, we have a double agent trying to destroy us. Every single one of us. That's why we need to continue to be obedient to God and not towards our flesh. We need to continue to call out the enemy, call him a liar, Continue to live a life of faith. Continue to live a life that's biblical. Our decisions, we can point to a scripture saying, hey, this is why I'm doing X, Y, or Z. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 
and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Again, our battle, it's not a fleshly battle, but it's a spiritual battle. And there at the end of verse 5, it gives us a very quick way to begin our battle. It's by bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, every temptation, when fear and anxiety come in, are we bringing that under the captivity of Jesus Christ? The news trying to freak you out, right? On one side or the other side, right? For, for years, right, they're saying, oh, all the grocery stores are going to close down. That, that might happen. But should fear be crippling you, right? Should you be going crazy? Or are you bringing that thought under the captivity into the obedience of Jesus Christ? Should you prepare? Yeah, you should prepare. Should you be freaking out? Should you forget that the righteous are never forsaken? They'll never be found begging for bread? That thought we have to bring under the captivity of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, another New Testament scripture that likens our faith to warfare, to a battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Once again, Paul reminds us, we can start off in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That's not our own flesh or our own wisdom, but be strong in the Lord and not our power, but in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, we are in a spiritual battle. How much are you strengthening your spirit? Right? Look at the last 24 hours. How much strength have you given to your spirit? And how much have we pleased our flesh? And yet our whole battle is taking place on a spiritual realm. It's in a spiritual place. Are we strengthening our spirit? Are we fulfilling the spirit? Are we feeding our spirit? Or are we just doing this in our flesh? Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." How are we doing with this? How are you doing with your capabilities of wielding the sword of the Spirit? Right? Because for the nation of Israel, from 20 years old and up, all of those men were able to wield a sword. God says, hey, you're ready for battle. You're 20 years old. How many of us here are we well-versed in the sword of the Spirit? Or if someone asks you to fill in for kids' ministry, like die of a heart attack right there, Right? Someone asks you, hey, I need you to do a devo, and you just, you just faint, you just pass out. Do we have any capabilities with the sword of the Spirit? This is not just written to pastors. This is written to the church at large. 
How well do you know the word? How much are you in it? Are you following? Do you have a heart after God? And not only the sword of the Spirit, but then what does he tell us? To be in prayer. How often are we praying? In verse 18, he tells us, Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. Are we praying and are we being watchful? We are at war. Your sons, your daughters, are you praying and are you being watchful? Or are you, right, taking those lies of the enemy? Oh, he's a good kid, right? Don't you remember what the, who the dad is like, right? That's not a good guy, right? Talk about myself. We are at war. We have to be aware what's going on. Even this morning, right, the reading in Joshua chapter 7, I think. Man, is there sin in the camp? Is there sin in your life? Is there sin in your home? Joshua and the nation of Israel, they got defeated not because of Joshua's sin or the leader's sin, but because of the sin of someone else. In your home, is your home pure? Right, all the dads here, all the single moms here, if you're the leader of your home, is your home pure? Is everyone walking in righteousness? We are at war. Finally, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Then we'll close here before we sort of pray and then look at some scriptures for communion. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Right? Very similar to what we've gone through. Exodus, Leviticus, now Numbers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Right? Think of the book of Exodus. You think of the book of Leviticus. Now here in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, we're at war. We don't belong here. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims passing through the wilderness. This world is not our home. And as long as we're in this flesh, we're at war. That war starts, again, versus the man in the mirror. But then we're looking for souls. Are you looking for souls as you're going through Publix, right? As you're going through about your day, as, as you're at work, are you saying, Lord, what's the battle here? Who's the unbeliever that perhaps they need to be saved? They need to be spoken to. They need to be ministered to. Right? When you get home and you're watching what your kids are consuming, right? On television and social media, are you just asleep about it? Or are you saying, man, we are at war. What's going on here? Are we getting flanked? Is someone coming in undercover? Are we going to be demolished and destroyed? We are at war. So again, we were once slaves. Now we're called slaves in God's kingdom. But we're at war till we see him face to face. And I, I long for that day. Heaven's going to be a great day. We're going to meet the Lord face to face. We're going to be with so many people we miss. But I will no longer have to fight against this flesh. It's no longer going to be a battle. Lord, am I doing your will or not? It's no longer going to be a battle of, man, is this sin or not sin? I can't believe I did this again. That battle's over with. That battle's done with. But until then, let's be 
faithful. Let's be that good and faithful servant.